Welcome to Brit David Podcast. As we continue our walk through the book of Luke, as Pastor Tim shares a message from Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 22, entitled, Who is Jesus? The question, Who is Jesus? is one of the most important, most fundamental, foundational questions that can be asked. And the answer will determine how you view Jesus and what his death on the cross really means. Is he a myth or is he real? Is he a mere man, maybe a prophet, or a teacher, or even a fraud? Or is he really the Son of God, God the Son, the Savior of the world? Listen as Herod and others struggle with this question, who is Jesus? Here's Pastor Tim. Who is Jesus? Who Jesus is? It's what makes the difference and what makes so incredible what he did. Jesus died on a cross for your sins, was buried. Three days later, came back to life again. If Jesus is simply a myth, then that's just a pleasant story, isn't it? It doesn't give us any hope. It just entertains us. If Jesus is a mere man... It doesn't matter at what level that is, either, you know, e- either just being a prophet, just being a good teacher. By the way, I would argue for you that if Jesus is just a teacher, then he's not a good teacher because he taught something that wasn't true. But if he's just a prophet, just a teacher, even if he's all the way to the, to the edge of being a liar and a fraud... Maybe he still goes to the cross. Maybe he still dies. Maybe he still is buried. But he doesn't die for your sins. His resurrection not only becomes remotely impossible, it doesn't become powerful. Because if Jesus dies on the cross as a mere man, then he has to die for his own sins. He's not qualified to die for yours if he's not the infinite God-man. Because if he is not God, if he is not the virgin-born Son of God, then Jesus is born with a sin nature, isn't he? And if he has a sin nature, even if, let's say miraculously, somehow, from, from childhood on up, that he never acts on his own sinlessness, even if he doesn't act on that own sin nature, he still has to pay the price for it. Just as Adam handed down a sin nature to his sons and daughters, his sons have handed on to their children, their sons handed on to their children, my dad's handed it down to me, and I've handed it down to my children. The sin nature. That's why Jesus comes to die, doesn't he? But if he's not who he claims to be, then he can't do what he claimed to do. So who is Jesus? Relatively early in his ministry, his earthly ministry, that question gets asked. That question has to be answered. 
as we go through several of these verses and really several episodes here in uh, Luke chapter number 9, we find that even the people that we encounter in the Scriptures today have varying views concerning who Jesus really is. Let's look at them together. First, in verse number 7, picking up where we left off last week, we meet Herod. He's referred to, as you would recall, in verse number 7, as Herod the Tetrarch. Look at what it says. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by Jesus, and he was perplexed. We need to come back to that word. Because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen. And Herod said, John, I have beheaded. But who is this of whom I hear such things? And he sought to see Jesus. You see, the question that Herod is asking in verse number 9 is that same question. Who is Jesus? Who is this one? Who is it who does all of these marvelous things? What I want you to see about Herod today is that he had an inaccurate belief. Herod had an inaccurate belief. Yes, he believed in Jesus. Yes, he believed that Jesus lived. But his view of Jesus is wrong. It's just flat out wrong. What Herod sees in Jesus is a mystery. It's just a mystery. Look, at, look, look back at that word. We said we would come back to it in verse number 7. It says that he was perplexed. It's a word that only Luke uses it in all the Bible. He uses it twice in the Gospel of Luke. He uses it three times in the book of Acts. But it's a word which means to be completely and utterly at a loss. Completely at a loss. And this is why. This is is the part of that word that really makes such a difference. It tells me that all that Herod is leaning on for understanding. It's not the Word of God. It's not the Word of these prophets that he mentions. He's leaning on his own understanding. We know a verse about that, don't we? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Right? That's not what Herod is doing. Herod only has himself to draw upon. And so he is trying to figure it out the best way that he can. Who is this one in light of what he has seen versus what he has heard? And it just comes to the point that he doesn't know. He's not willing to say that Jesus is God. He is not even willing to say that Jesus is a good man. He just doesn't know. The thing about that word perplexed, not only does it mean that a person is trying to figure out something, but they're at a complete loss because they're relying solely upon themselves, but it also means and it always leads a person to doubt and to despair. Let me tell you that that's true. Any person who does not know who Jesus really is 
who has this inaccurate view of Jesus will always end up in despair. Because where there is no truth, there is no hope. We have hope for the future. We have hope beyond this life because we rely upon the truth as it is revealed to us in the Word of God. Herod is relying only on rumors and his own thoughts toward those things. And all he can come up with is not who Jesus is, but who Jesus is not. You know, he said, I know he's not John the Baptist because I beheaded John the Baptist. As far as these other prophets, I don't know whether they can come back or not. And he's at a loss. See, power doesn't lead necessarily to rightness, does it? You see, there are some that were in Herod's, Herod's group who would have said, if Herod says so, then it's true. If Herod says something is right, then something is right. But you never come to truth through power or position, certainly not through perplexity or puzzles. Herod has an inaccurate belief, and he's going to die with that belief. Let's keep going. There's another group of people that we meet in the very next verse. Look as the Bible says this. He says, and the apostles, when they had returned, returned from where? We've got to go back to where we were last week at the beginning of chapter number 9. Remember, Jesus sent them out with a task. He sent them out as his ambassadors to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, right? So now they have gone out, and the Bible says that they went preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So now in verse number 10, they have returned, telling Jesus all that they had done. And Jesus took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, when they knew where Jesus was, they followed him. And Jesus received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed all those who needed healing. The, the task hasn't changed, has it? For Jesus, he sends out those disciples to preach the kingdom and to heal the sick. Even though he tries to find a private moment aside with his disciples, the crowd still follow. And what does Jesus do? <laughs> he preaches the kingdom and he heals the sick. Those very things that he had sent them to do, that he had shown them how to do, he is still doing. But it's the multitudes today that I want to concentrate on. Remember when they came back, when Jesus and those disciples came back from Gadara, the Bible says that the crowds were waiting on him. What were they waiting for? Waiting for just what he'd been doing. To heal the sick. To perform some kind of miracle. To see, to see the next trick. What is it that Jesus can do? All of these same things that Herod had heard about the multitudes want to see it for themselves. And so they're waiting for him on shore. When Jesus goes away, 
they follow after him for the very same reasons. And you find out in verse number 12, beginning there, with this miracle that really is, I mean, it's the, it's the only miracle that Jesus performs in his earthly ministry that is recorded in all four Gospels. This is an important one, right? It's a part of, of, for many of those in the multitude, how it would shape how they view Jesus. But going in, they have an inadequate belief. I mean, Herod had an inaccurate belief. The multitudes have an inadequate belief. Yes, they believe that he is able to do things that only God can do. They're just not willing to go far enough in their belief. So whereas Herod just sees a mystery, all the multitudes see is a miracle worker. They just want to see somebody who can do the next great thing. And so they are consumed with the idea of what Jesus might do for them. Listen, Baptist. We find ourselves in that same category sometimes, don't we? We flock to Jesus when we think that he can do something for us. And that's where the multitudes are. Look with me in verse number 12. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to Jesus, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But Jesus said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And Jesus said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and 12 baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. This incredible miracle is done right there in the middle of the crowd, in the middle of the multitude. Now, Let me ask you this question. Why does Jesus do this miracle? Why does Jesus do any miracle? Why is he a miracle-working God? Why is it that during his earthly ministry, he goes about healing and doing certain miracles? The answer is found from the very first miracle that he did. The very first miracle is the changing the water to wine at the wedding feast. And it's in that passage in John chapter number 2 where the Bible says why Jesus did that miracle and why he did every miracle including this one. And the Bible gives us two reasons. The Bible says, first of all, so that his glory might be seen. In other words, that he might be seen for who he really is. The answer to the question, who is Jesus? should come to a resounding, correct conclusion because of the miracles. His glory is on display. That's one reason. The second reason the Bible says is he says, so that they might 
belief. So it's to show and to demonstrate who Jesus is and to give people a reason to believe. Why does Jesus feed the 5,000? I mean, it's obvious that they can go into the surrounding towns. They can find lodging there. They can find provisions there. It's not that it's impossible for them. The disciples have already taken note. Yes, they can do this. So why does Jesus make them sit down and feed them with these five loaves and two fish? To demonstrate that He is God. And to give them reason to believe that He is God. But they, like so many of us, are so concerned and consumed with what Jesus can do for me right now that all they can see is the miracle worker. And they can't see the power behind it. How sad to come all this way and miss the point. How, how sad to have Jesus do something remarkable and incredible right in front of you and still miss the point. Yet Americans everywhere seem to miss the point. He has gathered us together and been more gracious to us, it seems like, than anybody else on the face of the planet. And yet sometimes we're satisfied with an inaccurate view. Sometimes we are satisfied with an inadequate view. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim shares a conclusion to the message from Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 22, entitled, Who is Jesus? Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BrittDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.